Ready? One second. It's recording. It's recording. Good evening, hello and welcome to episode number 11 of Unforced Errors or Unforced Error, whatever you like to call it, UFE uh, for short. <laughs> um, week, yeah, week six of lockdown, I think. And uh, I'm joined here by the co-creators of this podcast, which talks about tennis. Adam, on the left of the screen, we're using Discord so we can see each other. We're obeying lockdown social distancing. And uh, David, the other parents of Unforced Errors, joining us. What's that? Tonight's show, we're going to be talking about how Unforced Errors came about. And we're going to be, the main part of the program is going to be talking about the most memorable matches of all time. See if we can all come up with a top 10. So just to start off, how's lockdown been going for both of you, um, David and Adam? Adam, you go first. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's... It's a lonely place in lockdown for me. Mm -hmm. I've made a lot of friends at the supermarket, and, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean it, it's it's nice in some way. You get to kind of focus on some things that you wouldn't normally focus on. But I'd prefer it to come to an end sooner rather than later. Get yeah. a bit, bit of normality back. Absolutely. Yeah. Can we say have you two been playing tennis at Oh, we have. We definitely have. We are assaulting tennis courts, jumping fences, installing nets that we bought for 20 pounds on eBay. And we've 20 been, pounds? Yeah, we've been having good matches, actually. Adam is, has evolved a lot since the last days that we used to play a few years ago. So, Unforced Terror, actually, help me out if, if I forget anything, Adam. Once upon a time, what was it, four, five years ago? Even more, no? We were still living in the mm -hmm. same house, weren't we? Yeah, it was a long time ago. Wow, like six, six years ago, maybe six years ago. We used to play mm -hmm. at St. Anne's all the time, and every once in a while, we would get there, and all the courts would be taken. And me and Adam, yeah, we used to play, didn't we? Uh, all year round. Yeah, all year yeah. round. Yeah, exactly. And then summer would come, and the courts would be full. Full, and then we would yeah. sit there next to each other on the bench, watching all those amateurs play tennis. Really <laughs> bad tennis, very low quality. And we, we started complaining about everything. It was great. And then we came up with this idea. What if we just record our voices and made a show about it? And that's where the idea of Unforced Terrors came along, you know, to make fun of everything about tennis. We used to, to pick on Burditch. We used to pick on Vavrinka. Yeah. We used to pick on <laughs> literally every tennis player. You don't like Varenka? <laughs> no, we like Varenka, but we always picked up on the little things that... Uh, yeah. Even Djokovic at one point. Even Djokovic. He, he earned our respect. He did. Do you remember? Oh, he was like the number three in the world forever. <laughs> he was first loser for a long time. For a long time. He was always the third best. I remember him on ranking three forever and ever. Same as Murray. So did Murray. Mm -hmm. And then uh, yeah. Murray stepped up for a bit uh, and Djokovic took over the world. And now here we yeah. are. Am I... I think I'm in the middle of two English dudes that absolutely love Murray. Am I here alone? The only one? I have no English blood. Uh, my mum was Irish. My dad's Scottish. So I actually oh. have no Oh, original fan then. 
yeah. half Scottish. Yeah, because he's... So I feel he, English. I was born in England, so mm. yeah, I probably feel English. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there it is. The idea started there. Then we didn't do really anything. The time passed by. We talked yeah. about a radio show, a video show. We talked about even a blog. I opened the blog. I never wrote anything on it. And then years yeah. later, I've just decided to start it. And here we are again. And now we welcome Adam for being here and we can start our show. Adam, do you have anything to add to our story? Yeah, I think you covered most of it. We started off playing all year round and, you know, we'd go out and we'd play New Year's Day in the cold. Yes. It didn't matter. It was um, awesome. Christmas Day? Did we play Christmas Day? As long as there was no family <laughs> around, yes, for sure. Did you ever play in snow on the court? We did play in snow. <laughs> I remember New Year's <laughs> Day, it snowed. Hey. Nothing... No weather. It was, the, it. it was the only time I could slide on hard court just like Djokovic. It was really <laughs> good. <laughs> Super running shots. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. From there, it kind of evolved, didn't it? Mm -hmm. from, from being like a bench cast, yeah. talking tennis, to entertain ourselves whilst we were waiting into something that you've created now. Yeah. Are you both of the opinion that with public tennis courts, you should only play for an hour? And then you should get off the court and let other people Never. take over. Where do you stand on that? I play forever, as much as you want. But that means that the people on the bench who are talking about their possible blogs and podcasts can't get on the court if you play forever. But when we normally have more energy than most people. People always give up sooner or later. We always yeah. stay for hours and hours. So you pay for an hour, don't you? If you if you actually pay when the parky comes round, mm -hmm. that ticket is for an hour, isn't it? And they never stopped us because of an hour anyway. So yeah. I guess we were lucky as well. It was not always too bad, but we definitely have those situations where we had to wait. But people don't stay playing tennis very long. It's funny, you know, I, we've been in courts for years now and we're always yeah. the last ones to leave. Normal. I'll tell you what's annoying, just briefly, before we move on to the main part. If mm -hmm. you're waiting and you're waiting for a court and they're all full up yeah. and then some people are just lying down and having a chat in between the sets Ooh. and you're looking Ooh. at the watch, you're seeing the sun go <laughs> down and you've been waiting half an hour. Whoa. That's not so good. If that happens, I yeah. enter the court and I go like, guys, are you playing? Kind of, <laughs> you have to have a, like a balance. Yeah. If it's busy, then... You have to give way, I think, to yeah. other people. Yeah. I just remember as a kid always being chucked off courts, public courts, mm -hmm. by these kind of group of four older ladies. They were old in the Whoa. early 80s. They, they're probably only 35, actually, but some, in the early 80s, the 35 was about 56. And they would always say, sorry, we've booked <laughs> the courts. You've got to get off. And they hadn't booked the courts at all. They were just using their age to knock us off the courts. That's really. not right. So, yeah, and now it's the other way around. Now I can't often in the summer I can't get on the court because kids are playing. So it's come full circle. <laughs> hey, if it was me as a kid, I would push those old ladies out of the way. But I was I was not very nice. What about you, Adam? I try to play as long as I can. And one time there was a club, but they weren't an official club. Mm -hmm. that wanted to play at St. Anne's. And uh, I've got into a lot of arguments with people. <laughs> um, right. When yeah. people want to come along and they don't have the authority to to do it, exactly, and they try and put you off for a certain time, and they mm -hmm. say they've booked the courts, but when it's free, it's free. I mean, yeah. at the moment, the courts are free; they can't throw you off. Yeah, well, a private school. I think it might be Brighton Hove High School or St Mary's or even Roding or Brighton College. 
I think they do monopolize the courts sometimes during the summer. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they booked officially or if they're just making it up, but um, that's a real nuisance. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, battling against people and standing ground and not being kicked out. But anyway... Enough of that. So what we're going to talk about today is about, you know, most memorable matches, good or bad. Adam, do you want to shoot one of your uh, memorable matches? Tell us why. And uh, maybe you can remind us what happened. Sure. Well, I'll start with my favorite player, Mm -hmm. Andy Murray. Um, oh my god. Wow. What's for going real? on here? I know you'd love that one, David. I thought it was Teen Handman. <laughs> <laughs> Tin Henman. Well, at least player he, not to win a Grand Slam. Yeah, at least it's Murray, oh, man. At least he won a <laughs> couple of slams or something. Three slams, was it? Yeah, it? I Henman is a different era. I've just chosen um, games from this From this, this time. Era. Sounds good. Um, we leave the ancient matches for Jim because he's from uh, the last century. I'm 100 years old. Yeah, exactly. All right, go for it, so, Adam. We're listening. I've gone for Murray Djokovic in the US Open final. Ah. 2012. Yeah. This was Murray's first Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the world had been waiting a long time for this to happen since he'd be lost about 40 or something before that. And it was an epic match, especially if you're a Murray fan, because you'd watched him suffer for so long. Mm-hmm. Yes. Years. Even when he was playing this match, he was still suffering. You know, I know. Did you think he would ever win a Grand Slam? Did you get to a stage where you thought he's never going to win a Grand Slam? Well, I don't think some people didn't think he was, but I was following him quite closely. And he, you could see him just getting very animated and people were complaining that saying he was he was getting too hard on himself he shouldn't show his emotions but these emotions were just showing how much he wanted to win and you could see he was getting closer and closer mm-hmm. and yeah i stayed up to watch this match and where did you watch it who did you watch it with because it it was in the middle of the night really the us open final is so can you remember where you were and who you were with? I can't remember where I was, but I know I was just by myself. We were living in the same up. house, me and you at that time. So I'd imagine yeah, David, so... who isn't a Murray fan, would have been washing his hair while the final was on. Nah, 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 nah. I respect tennis. I like a good yeah, final. things to do. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Murray is not one of my favorites, he's an amazing tennis player and he's one of the uh-huh. ones that has the better hands to watch. So when, when Murray's playing well and he's not uh, you know, playing the victim story, he's a really great player. He's just tuned in. Wow. wow so it was a great match. It was I'm glad we recorded that. <laughs> Murray, uh, Murray was two sets up, wasn't he? Murray was two sets up. Djokovic came back to two sets. All then they had a little break. I think Murray went to the bathroom, splashed water on his face, and uh, came out and won. Yeah, I'm sure he was looking in the mirror. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't make it easy, does he, Murray? But but Murray is known for all these kind of situations, like cutting his hair in the middle of the match, sitting yeah. in the bench. Yeah, it's like yeah, I've never seen note. anything like it. He, yeah, he had those he, notes, didn't he, as well? Yeah, those notes that were found by somebody and published, and then he was disappointed. Murray's a nice dude. He has a good heart, but uh, he's definitely mocked everywhere he goes. Even on TV, I mean, the shows that they make with Murray are a bit strange to me. I would say fuck you to the whole world, and I would stay by my own, because I think the world makes too much fun of Murray. Maybe he accepts it too Um, much. Yeah, he went through that 
sort of a PR campaign, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Where there was really painful to watch cheesy documentaries about him. Yeah, he was um, strange. But yeah. yeah, but I think public opinions changed him in now. So people are, have warmed to him a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, he's never going to be considered one of the greatest of all time. Unless you're Jim. Unless you're Jim. <laughs> yes. Adam, I'm, I must explain that David thinks I've got some kind of man crush on Andy Murray and that I mention him 77 times. Uh, that's an important number, 77. 77 times each episode, which is complete rubbish. I don't know what planet he's on. It amuses David to think this, so I play along with it. Wait, I'm talking about when we were talking about who is a legend. And uh, Jim, yeah. Jim had the opinion of that uh, Murray was a legend because in his culture and his, uh, you know, his Wimbledon and for the mm. United Kingdom history. So we were debating yeah. that in the past. I Can know that... I just interrupt and tell Adam the truth? Now mm. you've, you've told him what yeah. you think. Go for it. I think I said in the show um, that I think he's a British sporting legend. legend Perfect. And very few people are. I, think, I don't know if you agree with this, Adam. I think he's definitely a British sporting legend. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's he's done something that nobody's done, whenever. Seven, seven years. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah. great conversation. I mean, yeah. We should have Adam on one of these conversations one day when we renew who is and who is not a legend yeah. in, in this world of tennis. Yes, but thanks for the yeah. repair, Jim. Yes, British legend. Uh, that's what Jim said. And uh, we make fun of each other when it comes to this kind of details. Going back to the match, that was a really great match. I remember watching it as well. And that was the first Grand Slam of Murray. Did you guys shed a tear? Shedding a tear, I mean, I was crying with emotions, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was happy for him. Yeah, exactly. I can't say that I was crying, but I was definitely, you know, happy. Yeah, emotional so, about it. It's good. There are yeah. very few tennis matches I've cried at the end with emotion. One which didn't make my top ten was when Jan and Novotner, I don't know if you've heard of her, mm-hmm. won. Very well. And I was just so happy for her. Um, there's another one on my top 10 list, which I won't give away, which I, I did I did shed a tear about. But um, it's great to have a good cry at the end of a tennis match. <laughs> have you guys ever cried after losing a match? You playing? Inside I've been crying, but yeah, never. N- <laughs> never let your opponent see your tears. Nope. Or, That's what the towel's there for. That's why we have towels yeah, on Yeah, exactly. Don't show weaknesses. Yeah, don't show weakness, especially before the match ends. Tennis is a yeah. tricky thing. What about you, Jim? Uh, tell us your number 10. Okay, my number 10. This is where it all began. Um, Bjorn Borg versus John McEnroe in 1980. It'll be a lot of people's top one. But I think that's the one that really cemented my love of tennis. Mm. Um, it was a, a five-set match. Borg had won Wimbledon four times, but it was the first time he'd faced McEnroe. McEnroe had a reputation in the British press of these outbursts. He had all kinds of nicknames like Old Potato Head and um, Tantrum McEnroe. But he came out of the match with real credit. There was that amazing tie break, which McEnroe actually won in the fourth set to extend it. And I think that's where it all began for me. That's where I thought, oh, this is great. And I can remember watching it and going out after the end of each set to play tennis in the garden just against the old chimney breast. Probably weren't born either of you then. Yeah, probably not. How old were you? I was eight years old, almost nine years old. Beginning of July, 1980. 
1980? Yeah. Okay, I was two years old, I was in Africa, and I had no idea what tennis was. You missed out. I missed out, out, man. I told you, gym is, is a box of knowledge from the past, it's excellent. Yeah. Because it's good for the show to have uh, people, you know, from different eras. I'm going to invite one of these days, even a more ancient guy, that probably is going to tell us even even older things. Would you ever watch an old match on YouTube? I've Would watched you a few, yeah, especially to... Match? Would you watch it all the way through? Yeah, definitely to, to compare uh, lots of things like the ambient and how the crowd was and how the reaction... Because human beings were different back then. Maybe it was a harder game back then. Wooden mm-hmm. tennis rackets. Wooden, yeah, I mean, yeah. They had a smaller frame back then as well, didn't they? Yes. Tighter shorts. Tighter shorts. <laughs> more tricky, more chaffing. More, more chaffing. That's true, actually. I get annoyed a little bit with my shorts these days if they are like just under the knee and I'm already like, oh, I have to pull these shorts up. So I imagine how hard it was. No wonder the cyclists yeah. use those very sexy shorts to. Yeah. yeah, oh my God. Did they need help to get into these shorts back then? Or was it? <laughs> they were painted on, I believe. <laughs> yes. I was probably the same guy that painted the lines. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. At least they had underwear for sure. Okay, so I'm going to share one of mine. I didn't have a top 10, but I'm going to try to select one of my choices as low as possible. It was when Federer beat Sampras for the first time at Wimbledon, even though he lost... Well. Yeah, yeah he lost. He was a great what match. A... He lost the next round, but to Henman. To Henman, yeah, well remembered. Oh, isn't that amazing <laughs> in four sets. Yes, <laughs> that was two thousand one, but that was not a, a match that that marked me a lot because it was a time where Feather was just rising up. Sampras was almost at the end. Agassi stayed on for a bit longer and got to yeah. be the oldest number one in the world. Definitely, though, um, Sampras was playing fantastically well that year. And if Federer hadn't knocked him out, I think he might very well have won yet another, another title. Another one, yeah. And they were both serving volleys. That's when Federer um, was serving and volleying. And, he, and yet he was brilliant from the baseline too. It was a great match. It really was. And Sampras never won another match at Wimbledon. The changing of the guard. It's true. It was a marking point in history and switch between generations. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Sampras, his retirement came soon after that, didn't it? A couple of years later, he mm-hmm. won the US Open. Okay. And by then, his ranking had really gone down. So he won it from a very low ranking against yeah. Agassi, uh, which was oh, amazing. Really? And that's the last professional match he's played <laughs> on the normal circuit. And he went out winning the US Open in his final match. That's amazing. You know, that raises that question that we've talked about before, which is, should Feather do the same? Leave on a high or leave on a low? But then if Feather would have done the same, he would have not had these miracle wins against Nadal and, and another Wimbledon. But when we remember Sampras, we can go back and say, hey, we never saw him fall. We just left on a high. What a way. I mean, how many yeah. people could choose to do that? It's very difficult to go out on a high. Agassi went out very losing difficult. to Becker, not Boris Becker, Benjamin Becker. Yeah. But in the previous round at the US Open, he played Bagdatis, who was Australian Open finalist by that time and had a marathon five-set match. So he went out on a high, but it was in an early round when his ranking had slid down. So exactly. that's the other, other end of the scale, but not a bad way to go out either. No. I think Great. it's nicer in a way to go out and, you know, with a bit of a spark, but also if you lose, it's you're still giving to tennis as you're going out. You're not just saying turning your back on it. You're just saying 
well, now it's my time to go. Yeah. yeah. If I was a tennis player with lots of records, I would leave when I just stopped enjoying playing tennis, which is very difficult to see. Or at least when you stop winning a lot and then you say, okay, look, I can't do this anymore and it's fine. Yeah. I think the world is not going to judge Djokovic or Nadal or Feather for leaving whenever they leave. Adam, your turn. I remember Agassi's hair. Oh, yes. I mean, the, the wig, like, you mean. We, the wig. we could have an episode on Agassi's hair. Yeah. <laughs> didn't he retire twice? He left the game, didn't he, for a couple of Yes. And then well, came back without hair. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Adam, you're number two. I, well, I concentrated a lot on um, sort of matches that define the greatest of all time. Okay. Obviously, there's been loads involving Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been spoiled, really, haven't we? Yeah. Choice. And there's been a few between Djokovic and Federer. I watched this match years ago and it really stuck in my mind it is the one between Djokovic and Nadal mm-hmm. in the French Open um, yes. 2013 and this was uh, probably rated one of the best clay court matches of all time and you know Djokovic was on fire that year and Nadal that's his fortress isn't it really yeah French Open it was really significant because there's one point in it where I don't know if you guys remember it but Djokovic yeah. was, I think he was 4-3 up in the last set. It was juice, and he was about to smash the ball, win the point easily, to, oh, to basically yes. take that game pretty much and probably take the whole match from there because yeah. it was almost over. And he, yeah. he smashes, the ball goes in, and then he falls. Yes, it's coming back to me. I remember that yeah. so clearly. And he touches the net and he looks to the umpire like a little kid that's about to get told yeah. off because he knows he's lost the point. It's such a significant point in the whole of tennis history, really, because this... He shouldn't you know, have looked at the umpire. He might have yeah. got away with it. <laughs> yes. he, yeah, he yeah. should have just uh, put his head down. And... It's a massive moment. And he lost that yeah, match? He, he lost the point and he, he went on and he lost, he lost that the game. Match. But I'll um, never forget that hit at the net and Djokovic's yeah. face. It stayed in, in, in my memory forever. Yeah, it was semi-final. Oh, yeah. Djokovic was, did beat Nadal a few years later, didn't he? But Nadal was injured did. then. He, they met in maybe in the quarterfinals and it wasn't seen as a proper. They're both at their peak. And I think that was the year Varinka beat Djokovic in the final. So he still, even though he'd, he'd slain the dragon... He still didn't get the top prize that year. It still no. dragged on for another year. Yeah, and then he finally did it. Oh, against yeah. Murray. Against Murray. I forgot about that. <laughs> That's a great choice. It's a great match. Um, when he finally got his hands on that trophy. Yeah. And then I think after beating Murray, he went into a nosedive and he really struggled in all the Grand Slams. He even made the US Open final because a lot of players defaulted against him. But winning that French Open really... Uh, turned things around and he really struggled for about a year. For a bit, yeah, I remember. Djokovic has always been a player of ups and downs, even in his mega domination that started in 2011. There's too much going on in his mind, yeah. he's too intelligent. Yeah. You can hear conversations and there's very interesting interviews about his life and how he's trying to, you know, evolve as a person. So, he's a bit different, isn't yeah. he? He doesn't believe in vaccinations, I think. For example, yeah, I think so too. Which I, might might mean, this is an interesting thing, it might mean when the tennis tour comes back, they might say, we can only come back if you take the COVID-19 vaccination, yep. presuming we find a vaccination for it. And what if Djokovic says no? That could change the whole face of tennis history 
Federer and Nadal might add a few Grand Slams, put them out of sight in the Grand Slam race. Oh, imagine so, that. Yeah, watch wow. this space. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, I had a customer of mine that told me he didn't believe in vaccines as well just recently. It was people, a few yeah. days ago. Yeah, there's a lot of people. What's the reason behind that? Some people think it can make you ill. You can pick up stuff from vaccinations. People have had illnesses after these major vaccinations. Yeah. Sometimes there's not a definite link between the vaccination and the illness. Maybe the illness would have happened anyway. So in God we trust, in scientists we trust. How much do you know what, what that vaccination is doing to you? It must be so powerful for it to work. So it mm. must have side effects. I don't know. Not religious science. thing or anything? No, not only Adam. There's interesting documentaries even about when AIDS started to kick in. There are people saying that it was down to the vaccines, not to the transmission between people. But there's another reason why vaccines could be a problem for people, which is it can create a less powerful and strong defensive immunity system. Yeah. It's annihilated a few diseases and a few... I agree. Okay, so is it whose turn? Maybe Jim, because you have so many. I yeah, have a few. I'm going to speed through my numbers nine to six inclusive, mm-hmm. and I won't talk too much about. My number nine is Jimmy Connors versus John McEnroe in 1982 Wimbledon final. Mm-hmm. And I'm choosing this because it's been airbrushed from history. Jimmy Connors seems such an unpopular figure that it's like this match never existed, but it was a great five set match. McEnroe was the favorite um, to win. Uh, Connors, it was thought his day had been and gone, really. But he won it. He had one last hurrah. McEnroe was expected after Borg had been killed off to kind of clean up tennis and win all the trophies. But Connors um, uh, had other ideas and they hated each other. Hmm. It wasn't a pantomime rivalry. They would not speak to each other in the locker room. They would shoulder barge each other when they changed ends. So this was a match with a real needle. And the old guy won. I'm, I'm always, I'm always in support of the old guy these days because I'm getting old myself. So it was great that the old guy won. So that was my number nine. That's a great number, story. Number eight was McEnroe versus Lendl, the French Open final. McEnroe had never won the French Open. Lendl had never won a Grand Slam. He'd been runner-up, I think, three times. So he was the Andy Murray of his day in terms of this guy is a choker. He's never going to win a Grand Slam final. McEnroe two sets up on his least favorite surface. And then he has an altercation with the cameraman. The cameraman's getting too close to him. And then Lendl turns it around, wins, and changes things. And, and uh, you know, Lendl won a lot more of their matches between them after that. Yeah, Lendl was a master at tennis, wasn't he? Definitely, but that was the big turning point. That opened the floodgates mm-hmm. a few years later. Yeah. Uh, my, nu- my number seven, this is me getting modern because it's from 2005, so it was only yesterday, really. Well done. Uh, Roger Federer against Marit Safan in the Australian Open final. Uh, great match. Mm-hmm. Federer was near his peak. You know, he first won Wimbledon in 2003, so he was a top dog then. But it was the Australian Open semi-final. And it's a great match. I really recommend watching it. I've on downloaded YouTube. it. I won't tell you who won, but Federer, Federer had a match points. Maybe it's a clue, maybe it isn't. I have a feeling Federer <laughs> lost that one. <laughs> and finally, my number six, I was going to go for Serena Williams versus Naomi Osaka. But we've covered it on previous episodes. It's memorable for all the wrong reasons. That's the one Serena had a massive outburst. But I'm going to go for something similar. It was John McEnroe, first round of Wimbledon, 1981, against Tom Gullickson. And that's the match where he first said, you cannot be serious. 
and it's a six-minute outburst on YouTube, no. and it set it up as a bad boy, and he got to the final that year, but this really had massive press interest. I watched it today, and the umpire on it looks like an old, doddery RAF man. But <laughs> researching it, he was 41 when he umpired the match. Please take a look at the clip, and it's proof that people were older, younger in those days. Uh-huh. So it's it's a good one. And... Uh, I chose it because <laughs> it was one of those matches. Uh, it, it would be amazing to say I was there watching that match in the crowd, which I wasn't. I watched it on TV as a schoolboy. But what a match to have said. I was there when John McEnroe said, you cannot be serious. You are the pits of the world. You're an incompetent <laughs> fool. I demand to see the tournament referee. And it would have been amazing to watch that. So that's my 10 to 6. Everyone knows that phrase. Everyone. You don't even need to like tennis. Yes. Everybody knows it. <laughs> it's true, actually. I like that you bring up as well, not only this, but a women's match. Because this raises a question, which is, how many memorable matches do we remember in women as well as we remember in men? Because somehow there's something about five sets that kind of makes it more memorable or an event, a strange moment or something fantastic that happened. What do you guys think? Can you remember? Adam, did you even put a women's match or it just didn't come up? I haven't watched as much women's tennis, so it's really hard for me to pick one, Mm -hmm. like a genuine one. I mean, I could research and just pick anything. But I think you're right. There's not as much tennis played, so you don't get as much action. You don't get as much sort of controversy mm-hmm. obviously jim picked serena williams she's a very controversial figure yeah and yeah if i was going to pick one i would probably pick serena versus venus yeah they had um, some they pretty had, you know, incredible through a stage of dominating so I, I definitely remember those were some great matches you know i was thinking here to myself trying to remember women's matches as you guys know, I followed just as much tennis and women's as I watched in men. But if I go to my memory and I think, okay, so what incredibly memorable matches of women there were. There were some really amazing matches, but you don't really remember them as much as those five sets that had so many twists and turns. But one thing rings a bell, and it doesn't even feel like it's one of the most important, and it's not even a match, but it's when Ostapenko took over the French Open and just yeah, bullet herself. I mean, she just had that moment where for two weeks she hit bullets and everything went in and she won the French Open just like that. That's one of those most memorable, but it's not a match. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Where is she now? Yeah, um, where is she now? We thought that was the start of something, but it wasn't really, was it? Probably retired, isn't she? You're obliged <laughs> yeah. to retire once you've won a Grand Slam. She, she's <laughs> yes. probably dating Grigor Dimitrov, uh, one of those <laughs> lads and... Uh, Doing some modeling. Yeah, well, <laughs> Astapenko is still definitely there. Or Osaka and all these new players, they're all there knocking on the door to continue what doing something. What Lina? Lina. Oh, you remember Lina? Oh, Jim, look who Lina. remembers Lina. Yes. Do you know what I have to say this? <laughs> it's, have you invented this person? Like, I, is this a neat joke between you? I, I we love had this, last this episode. Adam, check this out. <laughs> the last episode of Unforced Terrace, it was me, Antonio, and Jim, and we were talking about our favorite players. And I said, look, guys, I'm going to say a name. It was one of my favorite players of all time, Lina. And there was this silence. And then, (laughs) and it's on the episode, you can hear it. And then Jim says, 
What? Who? <laughs> I think David coughed or something. <laughs> and now, suddenly, out of the blue, Adam is bringing up. I think she... She, she won the French. She retired, didn't she? She, she won... Did. Yeah. Australian she won and French. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Australian. And then immediately hung up the racket. And that yeah, was it. Way to go. Yeah. It was a shame because I, I really liked her. I mean, she's Chinese, wasn't she? She was Chinese. Yeah, she's Chinese. Still, still is. Still, still is. is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If she was still playing, she would still be... So good. She would still be giving away half of her money. Because that was yeah. probably another reason she had to give away half of her prize money. To, to China. To the state. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no. I remember yeah. that. I'm glad somebody's remembering Even it no with me. no one else does. Me and Adam. <laughs> huh? Okay. Yeah, I'll okay. check her out. I'll check okay. her out. Lena. Type Lena and then put like winning a Grand I, Slam and then you'll... I you'll... just have. There's no you trace of her on the internet. She's been wiped. <laughs> She's been internet. wiped from the worldwide net. I think the Chinese government have worldwide wiped web. her from the internet. <laughs> well, in, in China, she's a hero. Well done to her. Okay, so I'm going to shoot one memorable match. Maybe a couple, actually. I don't have a favorite match, to be honest. It's very difficult. One is where Vavrinka made Djokovic have blood on his feet. Do you guys can guess when that happened? Really, French literally. Final where Vavrinka wore the crazy shorts? Yes, the shorts that, that are match? still made fun about these days, yes. That was insane because uh, it was... I remember the... the shorts. I don't remember the blood. Oh, my God. Because he was like a massacre. He was like Vavrinka would not stop hitting bullets and Djokovic would not stop putting them back. It was <laughs> incredible. I've never seen Djokovic in so much pain trying to... Not even that... Okay, now I, I would point to another... Maybe one of the most memorable matches of all time for everyone is the almost seven-hour final at the Australian Open between Djokovic and Nadal. Yeah. What year was that? Yeah. Do you guys remember? 2012? Yeah, 2012. 2012. Yeah. 2012. yeah. Uh, so many, haven't there? Oh, uh, Djokovic, Nadal, so many. marathons. It was impressive as well, because he just played a five-setter against Murray as well, Djokovic. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one more match that stands out for me, and I'm going to go back in time now. I will never forget it. It was the final of 1995, the Australian Open Australian between Open. Agassi Sampras. and Sampras. Agassi yes. played that Australian with his really awesome clothes, with his... Pirate bandana. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you remember that outfit? Everybody will always remember Agassi with those clothes forever. I nearly named that in my top 10. I was very tempted <laughs> to it. The reason why it's memorable for me, because I was a kid, because I remember where I was, and I even dressed up to watch that match. And then when he beat Sampras, which was not <laughs> very common. No. He had a good record, Agassi, against Sampras at the Australian Open. Yes. I think he beat him in the semi-final mm -hmm. route to winning uh, one year as well. Yeah. It was Agassi's time of year. He liked the Australian Open. It was the one place Agassi ruled the roost over Sampras, I think. Yeah, I think the only place, actually. Yeah. Do you think that's because Cheating. it's one of the slams that doesn't have as much magic as the others? or Magic? That's interesting you good, say that. Good point. Interesting. Huh. David. What do you mean by less magic? Well, people always regard Wimbledon and the French Open as the ones to have. I've mm -hmm. raised this point too. The most prestigious ones are Wimbledon and the most, maybe? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the yeah. French? Wow. And then yeah. the US in third. We say, I suppose we say that as English people, so we're biased towards Wimbledon. And we've always had more coverage mm. of the French Open than the coverage of the US Open. Ah, in Australia. there you go. 
what do you think, David? Is that how you view the Grand Slams? No, Australian has always been one of my favourites, maybe because of the history of Agassi on it, and I started watching tennis and playing at that time. And the French Open was always my unfavourite. I found it nice because it was different, and it's good to have difference. But definitely, I would say Wimbledon was the top one, then Australian, then US, then the French. I'm not sure it's still like that for me, but it has been like that for many years. Maybe there's where a. I think, where I think um, the Australian US Open suffers, they're both on the same surface. And sometimes, if I'm watching on TV, I couldn't tell you in a blind test whether it be the Australian or US Open. The, the French is unique, it's the Grand Slam on clay. Yeah. Wimbledon is unique, it's the Grand Slam on grass. Yeah. The grass court season is very short, mm-hmm. which makes it even more special. You know, blink and you've missed it. What I like about the Australian is I think it's a friendly tournament where I think the US Open is a bit like. People are going to order a burger loudly in the, in the middle of a match <laughs> yeah. point and stuff. And some people like that. Andy Murray likes that. John McEnroe likes the kind of bear pit atmosphere. There's a plane flying overhead as you were tossing the ball up for your serve. Yeah. But, um, Someone's ordering yeah. a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. Take your pick. Whatever lights your candle. But uh, yeah. So would you recommend the US or the Australian to change surface? If possible. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, what are they going to do to differentiate? Carpet or wood? Uh, yeah, people have picked up life-ending injuries playing on woods. They have Ooh. played on wooden floors before. Forget about that one then. Yeah, I'd always like to investigate, this is my idea, a Grand Slam tournament on sand. I don't know how this is possible. It'd be yellow sand. You'd you would, have to kind of make it playable. You'd have to play with balloons. With what balloons. colour is the ball? It would be a mini beach ball, Adam. It would be a miniature beach ball, <laughs> a tennis ball size, but a miniature beach ball. <laughs> There you go, in keeping with the sand. Well, the Olympics is next year, so your suggestion can still take hold. Yeah, exactly. Or Maybe... ice. What about playing on ice or snow? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I've played on on carpet, not astro, carpet, and it's pretty comfortable. I feel like I'm playing in my living room. I like the way the ball moves, and I'm really that, not was against that the virgin. Oh. Yeah. It's actually very good, uh, but hey, we will have to have a fifth Grand Slam to come up with some new idea because I don't see Australian or the US Open abandon what they already have in history. US Open, uh, they both used to be grass court tournaments and the US Open wow. used to be played in this mm. kind of country club, whereas now it's a huge, enormous dome, kind of soulless concrete megalith, isn't it? Mm. So that's how you so, feel about it? Yeah. Yeah, it's my least favourite of them, I think. The US Open, yeah? Yeah, I think so. It's also very windy as well. Yeah, and terrible weather. There's storms, as you say, yeah. As far as history goes, I think the Australian Open, back in the day, even before your time, Jim, they didn't used to play. Such a time exists. (laughs) They didn't even used to play. Some players never made it to the Australian Open. Yeah, that is true. Borg Mm, never really played the Australian Open. McEnroe only played it late in his career and got disqualified from the whole tournament for acting up. So, yeah, I think that's where, coming back to your original point, Adam, why it's seen as the least prestigious, because the top players used to skip it. They wanted to spend Christmas and Thanksgiving with their families, and they didn't really enter it. Yeah, you had to get a plane. It was too far away. Nowadays, we don't have that problem anymore. Okay, I have three more. What about you, Adam? You have one more, and maybe you first, Jim, because you have five more. All right. Very quickly, I'll do my five to one, okay? Okay, we're ready. I'm going to pick Federer versus Nadal 2008 as my number five choice. Oh, yes. I know a lot of people choose that as their number one, but what a great match. The rain delay made it even more 
drilling. Why it's so low down is I always felt the Dow was going to win, even when Federer came from two sets down. I just had this, I just had this feeling it was his time, and he, I was always confident he was going to win. Mm-hmm. I like both players, and I didn't mind Federer losing that because it meant Bjorn Borg was still the record holder, equal with Federer. Mm-hmm. My number four yeah. above it is Federer versus Roddick because that was in 2009, five sets. I think it was 16 to 14 to Federer in the fifth set. And what I loved about it was this was their third final they were playing each other. And I was tempted not to watch it because I thought Roddick didn't have hope in hell of winning. Mm-hmm. But he had his chances to win that match. There was one high backhand volley he did, which would have put him in a position to go two sets to love up. And at the end of the match, Federer, massive crowd favourite, but people were chanting Andy, Andy, Andy yes. at the end because mm-hmm. they had such respect. He so wanted to win it. That was his big chance. Third time to win it. Yes. Before you continue with your numbers, I want to comment on the matches that you're talking about. Federer Nadal was number five. Yeah, that left me sad because I really, really wanted Federer to come back and beat it. And about Roddick one, that's on my top. I'm now you said it. Uh, it's definitely one of the best. That match was insane, man. And I really, really felt for Roddick. Roddick was yeah. frustrated all his career since Feather started dominating because he was on top yeah. when he came around Feather and then suddenly he just couldn't beat Feather and he got so close for the first yeah. time and he just yeah, couldn't do sure. it. I almost wanted Roddick because I was a fan of Roddick and he couldn't do it and it was oh, it was so hard. And he never did it. Never did, never it, did it. it. That would have oh, been the wish. one opportunity for him. Well, he was in awe, wasn't he? He was in... Roddick's just like the biggest Federer fan as well. Yeah. Friends, I think. Everyone would be friends with Andy Roddick. Roddick. (laughs) And probably Federer too. He's just the kind of guy down the pub. Yeah, they're two really good people. Continue. Uh, David's already covered it. Federer Sampras is my number three, 2001. The changing of the guard. Birth of the (laughs) ponytailed uh, genius that we all... Uh, know and love where's this guy come from has he fallen from the clouds it's yeah. just absolutely incredible <laughs> and it meant so much for him to win he celebrated like he'd won the tournament yeah he did and i don't blame him no i really he changed tennis didn't he yeah he did That's yeah. Right. tennis changed he did. yeah but very, i would say very well i'm not said. a fan of sampras but i think if sampras came back now and picked up a racket and wimbledon started tomorrow i still think sampras would win quite a few rounds with his first and second serve. Oh, for and sure. I think Sampras at his best against Federer at his best at Wimbledon, take your pick. I think some years Sampras would win, some years Federer would win. Yeah. I think. Um, for sure. Number yeah. two, Ivan Izovic versus Rafter from 2001. Neither of them seeded, both of them injured. Ivan Izovic, 140th in the world and 140 to 1 oh. in the betting odds. Rafter, the runner up the year before against Sampras, did really well. Ivan Izovic, at the start of the year, he, he had to default from a tournament in Brighton. He'd run out of rackets, he'd smashed them all uh, on, the, on the way to probably <laughs> losing the match before he had to default. What a fairy tale. And he, I think since then, everyone who enters Wimbledon thinks, God, you know, if Ivan Izovic can win it from that position, Maybe I can. I remember watching that. I nearly put it in my um, top three. I watched it with my mum and she was complaining. She was just saying, this isn't tennis. Because <laughs> Ivanisevic, most yeah. of his points, 
you know, you can't hide it. He was, he was, he won them just by his serve. Yeah. I mean, he was an incredible server, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. And obviously he's yeah. a bit of a ladies man, isn't he? Patrick Rafter. He meant something. Really cool dude. He'd throw the ball up and if he wasn't happy with the toss, he'd go, oh, sorry, mate. And he'd start again. Sorry, mate. Yeah. And he was very gracious in defeat. I mean, it must have been heartbreaking for him, but he had some very kind words for Goran at the end. So my number one is Isner versus Mahout from 2010, the first round of, of Wimbledon, which ended 70-68 to Isner. Oh, my God. Set. The fifth set was longer <laughs> than any the longest match in history previously. It was longer, the fifth set, than the final match before. Madness. And I think Isner did 113 aces. And in the next round, how many aces did he do in his next match? Anyone know? <laughs> Ten. Zero. That's how knackered he was. Uh, wow. Oh, yes. This was a controversial match. It was. Wasn't it? Yeah. it was, but what a match on an outside court. Some people said it was rigged. Well, a few years later, <laughs> yeah. they drew each other in the second round, and there was 142 to one chance. I think they fixed it so they, they would meet again uh, a few years later. Mm. And, uh, but what an incredible match. Mahout, I was reading um, after the match, uh, someone was interviewed, a psychologist afterwards, and he said they, they're both at risk of depression and serious injury after that. And Mahout was actually said he suffered from depression for six months Unbelievable. after that. Unbelievable. What the hell? And a back hell, injury. But, you can see that in the photo yeah. after the match. That's they were presented crazy. with a, tro a trophy by Tim Henman and uh, some other Wimbledon bigwig after the match. That was a first-round match, and they had a presentation after the match. So that's my number one. Thank you very much. It uh, looks like uh, Jim's boss. We all have our bosses at home. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's taking him away from us. And me and Adam will I'm close. Sorry. No problem. Well, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And it was nice speaking to you both. Nice I'm seeing you again, Adam, after all these years. All right, Jim. See you soon. God bless everyone. Yeah, uh, stay safe and take care. I'm going to log off now. See you later. See you soon. See you soon. Okay. Adam, so yeah. let's say... What's your top one? My top one, you know, you already mentioned it. It's memorable for a lot of tennis fans, really, is the Djokovic versus Nadal. Yes. Um, <laughs> in the Australian Open. Exactly. 2012. Insane, I mean, man. <laughs> it's a boring number one, to be honest. Yeah, in a way, because he was like those endless rallies that would, they would never end. But then again, it was also quite thrilling to see it happen, wasn't it? It was like 30, 40 degrees, seven well, hours. Just, yeah, the length of the, the match, the oh. length of the rallies, and just the standard. I mean, you you don't really get a better standard than that. Insane. It was already like 30 shots on one rally, and you would think, okay, now it's going to end. And it wouldn't. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. It is a memorable match, and it has to be mentioned because yeah. I don't know how something those guys about are. it. Mega. Something mythical. It'll be like, mythical. you know, yeah. it, people won't believe it. Yeah. If it wasn't video, people just wouldn't believe that much. <laughs> exactly. Know. Six hours. Two giants. giants of tennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really <laughs> good. You know, I'm going to mention two more. One of them is going to be memorable for me forever and for feather fans when he lost to Djokovic a year ago 40-15 one yeah. ace away from making history would have beaten Nadal and Djokovic semi-finals and final and win his 21st Grand Slam yeah that oh. tore people apart I think we're still oh my god still recovering from that I have friends still they cannot even talk about that match man 
I tell you, <laughs> I even imagine there has been some suicides. That was people need to put it on suicide watch after that. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know how Feather ever recovers from a situation like that because that was big. That was mm. really big. It was like oh, the oldest huge. guy mm. to win a Grand Slam against the best in the world. And he lets it go because he decides to do a volley. Oh, I don't know what happened. Look, there. It was unbelievable because Federer, his serve is just so solid against so anyone. Solid. It doesn't matter who. Yeah. And you would you would you would back him all the way. Oh my Forty fifteen forever. I'll never believe how he lost. Because it's at the end of Federer's career, and yeah. there's no turning back from that one. You yeah. think Federer has something psychological against Djokovic? I think so. There's something well, there's there. Been, it was, there's been a few matches. There was one, yeah. I, I thought, 2015 US Open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Federer lost to him 3-1. Yeah. But it was way closer than you would think. And Federer had, you know, <laughs> 10 break points or something. Yeah. And he couldn't convert. He couldn't convert. So you wonder wonder whether there's something because they're not friends are they no where Federer refuses it's, it's always so apparent how Djokovic is always wanting a hug from Federer and Federer just he will not yeah. give it it's, it's just chemistry interesting when um Federer because he he's holding back isn't he on his uh his biography it's true and there's gonna be a lot of read. secrets coming out well <laughs> on that match 2019 that Federer lost at Wimbledon there was also hundreds of hundreds of breakpoints that he didn't convert and match points yeah. that he didn't convert. And there's definitely something on Federer's mind when he's playing Djokovic. And I don't know how he's going to break it. But who knows? That guy performs miracles. And on the last note, I'll say that probably one of my favorite matches of all time, and this is the last one I'm talking about, is the win that Feather had comes yeah. back to tennis. And suddenly, 2017 Australian Open, Nishikori in five Whoa. sets... And then suddenly yeah. Nadal, 3-2 up with a break in the, oh, in the fifth set. Oh, my word. I can't believe I forgot about that. That was, yes, I would definitely ah, put that. That was wonderful. That was one of the greatest. Yeah. That was, he proved everyone wrong. That was a beautiful match to watch as well. Oh, he was. It was one of the most pleasant experiences. My father, at 3-2, was almost having a heart attack. He decided to give up on the match. Can you believe that? And then um, I call him and say, Father! Feather broke back. <laughs> I yeah, I would love to have watched away. I couldn't look away. It was it, it was unbearable to watch. But he was a breakdown, and you never thought he would come back. Never. Still, that little thing inside of you that would believe. You would, yeah, you would hope and belief. <laughs> yes. He managed forehand down the line. <sighs> that forehand down the line. It was insane. And Feather was like sitting at three-two down, and you saw his face, and he was like, okay. I'm just going to go for it. Whatever. I don't care anymore. <laughs> just, oh. It was beautiful. Yes. That year was I very special. I remember watching it. I think I was on holiday mm -hmm. with um, my friend and my friend's family. And mm -hmm. it was on in the background. And it just got more and more dramatic as the game went yes. on. Yes. And everyone just slowly gathered around the TV. And <laughs> you could just feel the tension. Everyone was silent. <laughs> and just watching this unbelievable five set. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think that's, at least for Feather fans, of course, is a good way to, to finish the memorable matches. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more we're going to remember over the years of talking yeah. in this show. Nadal's not come off very well, has he? That's why we wanted Steven here, because Steven is a mega Nadal fan. We're going to have Steven next time. Although we do give credit to Djokovic, to Nadal, 
You know, I was going to ask you, it's really been great that you joined us, but normally it's me and Jim to finish off the show. But funny mm -hmm. enough, maybe this is exactly what is meant to be. We started the idea and now in the first show that you came back, for some apparent random reason, we are the ones finishing it off together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so has been Adam and Jim and David and... Um, We'll see you again in a few weeks' time. Thanks for coming, Adam. It's been great having you. Good to be here. And see you next time. Bye.